helping disciple makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome back to the Disciple First Podcast. It's a podcast by disciple makers and for disciple makers, and I'm your host, Craig Etheridge. And I'm here with my good friend, Robbie Gallaty. Robbie is a senior pastor at Long Holo Baptist Church in Henderson, Tennessee. Uh, he was radically saved and is a disciple maker and a disciple making leader in his church and really having an influence across the country. In 2008, he founded Replicate Ministries to educate, equip, and empower believers to make disciples who make disciples. If you want to log on to that, it's replicateministries.org. And he is also the author of several books, one of which is Growing Up, How to Be a Disciple and Make a Disciple and Make Disciples. So, um, Robbie, we are glad to have you uh, on the uh, podcast today. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and man, we just got to hang out uh, for a while uh, at the Flashpoint Conference in Dallas. And man, that was fantastic. Yeah, great time, man. Really, really encouraged by the speakers and... uh, just excited about what God's doing in the area of discipleship. Yeah, I am too. And, and I, that's what we want to talk about with you. Uh, Robbie, you you have not only become a disciple of Jesus, and not only are you making disciples, but you're leading disciple-making church. And uh, you've had to transition some churches to become disciple-making focused. And so to just kind of start us off, um, uh, how difficult is that to do? <laughs> You know, I've had the privilege. uh, This is my third church I'm pastoring, and all three of the churches uh, have been really different in a lot of ways. First church is in a small town, South Louisiana, uh, Morgan City, town of about 10,000, church of 65 people. Second church was a church of about 850, 900, traditional Southern Baptist church, choir, orchestra, full suit on Sunday. And then the church I'm at now, Long Hollow, is very different in that it's real laid back and contemporary, highly evangelistic. Uh, but the church through the years uh, just just didn't have a systematic process, like many churches, for growing disciples in the church. And what I found, Craig, is no matter what size church or even the context of the church the principles for disciple making will work because we're building it off of the model Jesus used. As you know, mm-hmm. Jesus ministered. If you study the New Testament, he ministered in five distinct groups. He had the crowd, which he spent very rare times with. In addition to that, he had the, the congregation of the 70 and the 120, which would be like the committed followers. But he spent the majority of his time. Eugene Peterson said he spent nine tenths of his time with 12 Jews, if you think about that. So 90% of his time was in the community group of 12, but with the core group of three. And so we just highlighted through the years, I thought, what if we create this pathway for spiritual growth in the church? And so uh, I've realized just through pastoring is that most people, and I think you would agree with me, want a closer walk with Christ, right? I mean, I really believe Christians want more Uh, in the relationship with God, they want to know Jesus intimately. Here's the problem. They don't know what to do. Yeah. And when most Christians don't know what to do, guess what? They don't do anything. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) They they don't do anything. And so 
what I found is it, just by implementing a simple pathway for growth, it's easy for people to walk on. And so what we've done is in church, we do a lot of things. But what we found is if you can share with people how to do a few things well, then they're more likely to do them. And so we've boiled down a healthy church member. And I've done this in all the churches I've pastored, particularly Long Hollow. I'm at Long Hollow Baptist in, in, in the Nashville area. And uh, I'm basically saying now to be a healthy church member of Long Hollow, you're involved in three distinct groups. The first one is you're involved in the gathering of the saints on Sunday, the, the, the congregational gathering, but it doesn't stop there. The next area for spiritual growth, the next step in your spiritual journey is to get in a community group. And these are groups where you live life together, mixed gender groups for the purpose of accountability, edification. But in most churches, Craig, you know, that's the last stop on the train. And we know that for Jesus, there was one more group that he was intentional with, and that is that group of three. It was a group of four. Jesus had a discipleship group of four, Peter, James, John, and him. And that's a group that is a closed group, gender exclusive for the purpose of intimacy, accountability and reproducibility. And with that three model, we have seen exponential growth happen in, in, in the three churches I've pastored. But not only that, but hundreds of churches around the country that are starting to implement this simple model for growth. Now, a lot of those uh, systems, if you will, are, are already there, or at least can be there. You've already got the, most churches have a congregational setting, right? Where they're worshiping yes. together. A lot of, a lot of churches have groups where they're on-site or off-site groups. So basically what yes. you're doing is, is encouraging guys to add this third closed group for spiritual development and reproduction. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's a train of thought and there's a group of people, unfortunately, that are saying, you know, Sunday school or, or, or life groups or, or, or Bible study doesn't work on Sunday morning. It's an antiquated model. It's a broken model. And, and I get that. I get that it can be antiquated. I, I get that it needs to be fixed. But why would we get rid of the greatest single connective group we have for forging friendships to birth D groups, right? I mean, think about it. Sunday school, whatever you call it, life group or small group on, on and off campus, these groups are the fishing ponds for relationships with D groups. And so we just encourage our people to meet people in, in the groups they're already in and then start these D groups. Now, now naturally, the pushback is, well, Robbie, are you expecting me to do another thing on another night of the week? I hear this all the time. You, you expecting me to go start another group? I'm not expecting people to start a new new time slot. I'm expecting them to do something they're already doing. So I don't want them to add something to the schedule. I want them to maximize the schedule they already have. And, and the question is, how many of us go to lunch with people throughout the week? We all do. You know, how many people, how many pastors, how many leaders will wake up early in the morning and eat breakfast with, with members in their church? We all do. Well, what if we were intentional with that time and meet once a week with a group of men or a group of women for the purpose of Bible study, accountability, and spiritual growth? And I think it's just maximizing the time. One of the greatest things we did uh, at Brainerd Baptist, the church I just came from, is we turned our Wednesday night time into the greatest disciple-making time group meeting setting of the whole week. And what we realized is we had age-graded ministries already available, so people could put their children in and their preschoolers in and their students in, 
And then they could shift and utilize unused space all throughout our complex for meeting and discipleship groups. And Craig, this was so cool. We had the most amount of people meeting on Wednesday nights than any other night. We probably had 500 plus men and women meeting in groups of three to five. And think about how many groups that is all through the church. And we just maximized the time we already had. Well, I tell you what, that's so um, practical because I think a lot of pastors think, you know, like you, like you said, I've got, I, I don't have another time. I don't have another way to do this. You're asking me to add another layer of management, but uh, really utilizing those on-site groups, those Sunday school classes, those life groups, whatever you call them, as fishing pools to pull out. We do the same thing in our church. We've found that to be highly effective. And yes. what you find is in those small groups, that's where you're raising up leaders to multiply your new groups, right? Yeah. And you know what? You know, pastors, I've had this happening in my church. I've heard it happening in other churches. But in my church, we had a hard time getting people to serve and lead and volunteer. And I know it doesn't happen in your church, Craig. But yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. We, we, we got it all together. <laughs> yeah, we all want leaders. We all want more people to serve. But here's the cool thing, and I think you just alluded to it. The greatest pipeline we have for raising up leaders to lead teams and committees and overseas mission trips and, and deacons in our church and teachers in our life groups The greatest pipeline we had was discipleship. Because here's the deal. When you get a person to fall in love with Jesus, it changes everything for them, right? But like when they get into the word until the word gets into them and they start memorizing the word and they start not only learning the word, but living the word out and being accountable to do that, it changes everything. It changes the fact that they're going to be more generous in their giving. It's going to change the fact that they're going to raise a holy hand in worship. You don't have to beg them to tell people about Jesus. Mm -hmm. They're going to do it out of the overflow of their life, right? And so it happens when they fall in love with Jesus. And that's what a discipleship group does, unlike any other group. Because you're not going to get accountability in a large group. I mean, you're just not going to get it because it's too large. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get a level of intimacy in a larger group. You're not going to get community like you really want uh, in a larger group. And you're not going to get normally reproducibility. And here's here's the adage people need to remember with discipleship. The discipleship process is never complete until the mentee becomes a mentor or the player becomes a coach. And and here's the thing. We have to remember the gospel came to us or the gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. And I love my time. And years ago, I was, I had the privilege of being discipled by David Platt years ago. I was a young believer, just came off of a a life of addiction and drug abuse and uh, eight, nine months removed from that, uh, being set free from that. I met David Platt, who was a church member and David invested in my life, and I loved my time with David. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but you know as well as I do. The time we spent being invested in fades in comparison to the time we get to invest in others. And there's no greater joy for a pastor than seeing someone you invested in now succeed and go all in for God. And for me, that's the greatest joy in in the world, is seeing someone that, that you've had the privilege of investing your life in sold out to Jesus. And pastors, if you're missing out on that, I'm telling you, you're missing out on a blessing in the ministry. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, this is not a new model, uh, this uh, congregation, uh, I mean, a celebration, congregation, cell, whatever um, you yeah. call it. This is not anything new. Wesley actually did that. Isn't that right, Robbie? Yeah, you know, I, I came up with this idea of, um, you know, looking at Jesus's life and, and ministry. Jesus had a large gathering of guys. Uh, he had the community group and he had the small group uh, of three uh, men. And then I started to do some research and found that John Wesley actually implemented this strategy in 1750. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you study Wesley's model, which there are very few books out there about this. In fact, the, the new book I just wrote, I got a whole chapter on this because Frankly, there's nobody writing about it. So I wrote about it in Rediscovering Discipleship. Uh, I think it's chapter five. And I basically talk about Wesley's model for what he did. And that is create the largest denomination in America. Uh, By 1820, 70 years, John Wesley created Methodism, which became Methodism, as we know today. It comprised 30 percent of American culture. So every three out of 10 Americans would say I'm a Methodist and it outpaced the closest denomination by 20%. So the question is, how did he do that? Here's what he did. George Whitfield, who was his contemporary was the great orator. You know, we know him as the great golden mouth preacher. Wesley, unlike Whitfield was not a good preacher, but what Wesley was, was Wesley was an organizational genius. And what he did is when Whitfield left from preaching those large crusades to 10 and 20,000 people without the use of amplification, Wesley came behind him when he left town and moved people through a threefold process for growth. And here's what he did. He moved them from what he called societies into classes, which we would call Sunday school classes or, or life groups. But then he moved them into these smaller groups called bands which would be a D group of, of, he did them five to seven. We do three to five to six, same thing. And with that threefold model, he created uh, an environment for spiritual growth. Now here's what happened. People would try to go to church, the society meetings without going to class. And Wesley fixed the problem. Here's what he did. He came up with a ticket system, Craig. And he basically said, in order to get into service, you have to have a ticket. So The Etheridges come up today and they say, hey, good to see you guys today. Uh, Do you have your ticket to get in church? And you'd say, well, no, we don't. They'd say, go to class. (laughs) (laughs) Are you starting that in Long Hollow uh, this next Sunday? You know, know, so listen, listen, I I, I told my staff years ago when I found this, I said, can we really do this, guys? Can we do this? And they said, Pastor, you are going to crush our church. Don't even think about it, right? But, But here's what happened. People tried to circumvent the process. So what they did was they tried to use last quarter's ticket to get into the service. So Wesley, with the foresight, saw this would happen and changed the tickets every quarter. And then what happened was he created this model for exponential growth. Now, where did he get it? He got it from Jesus. And I really think a return, Craig, to that first century model that Jesus implemented is going to bring about the reformation of the 21st century. Why? Because every person, any believer, any age group, any culture, customer background, filled with the spirit of God, wielding the word of God, can make disciples. Anybody can do it. And that's why I think it's going to bring about the reformation. Well, I tell you what, that's what we're all hoping for, and that's what we're praying for, and that's what we're working for 
is to bring about this reformation by investing in people that will invest in others to make disciples and make disciple makers. And Robbie, thank you for your investment in that. If you want to know more from Robbie, you can go again to replicateministries.org, or you can also go to uh, the Disciple First a website and get resources there. Also go to Flashpoint. We had a great Flashpoint conference in Dallas, but we have more Flashpoint conferences coming up in April, also in Atlanta and in Houston. So be sure and be a part of that. And until then, make disciples that make disciples. For more information on events and content, visit disciplefirst.com.